Welcome to the Real Film Nerds Podcast. Hello, welcome, and good day, nerdorinos, to another exciting episode of the Real Film Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mr. Matt Hinshaw, the alcoholic hungover man for this episode of the Real Film Nerds Podcast. Why are you hungover, Matt? I thought Mike Talent's role was that. It is your role. And I, I was just going to introduce the guy that is usually hungover, mysterious Mike Talent. I, I I thought that was my my purpose in life. And so w- what what brought you to being hungover? What happened? All right. So uh, just go ahead and say it. What, what are you drinking? And then I'll just say, well, I'm drinking water. <laughs> because I'm so hungover. Actually, I'm not. Oh, su- oh, 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 okay. I'm not super hungover, actually. But all right, all right, Matt. So, uh, what are you drinking, Matt? <sighs> well, Mike, I am drinking an ice cool glass of water because I was given a gift on Friday night when I was trying to leave and go home from work. Well, no, actually everybody else was leaving. I was the last one there. There's a big party here. I've photographed it many times when I used to work for the courier. For those of you who do not know that are local to Prescott, I worked for them many years. I actually even shot their inaugural one. It's called party in the pines. It's hosted by the Prescott area, young professionals, which used to be, I think it still is, but it was used to be run by my former boss at the paper. I'm not sure if she's still involved, but she kind of founded the group and everything. So I got to shoot it every year. I never really went and partied. And then when I got laid off, I was like, I'm not going to go to that. I don't want to accidentally run into her kind of thing, which makes sense. But uh, my boss was like, here, they were handing these out, one of our vendors or something. And he's like, here, I'm not going. And, you know, most of the agents are going. So here, go for free. I was like, awesome. Oh, okay. So so you got a free ticket, and then what did that entail? Did, was it free booze? I got eight drink tickets for all the breweries, and there were breweries from the majority of Arizona. Uh, there was a few from outside of Arizona, but the majority of them were Arizona. You know now, what upset me have, the most, though? Did they have your favorite, Four Peaks? Exactly. That's what I was going to go into. So I came in, it started at 5, I came in at probably, I don't know, 6.30-ish, and Four Peaks was set up, and I was like, alright, I am gonna. I, I know Four Peaks, I'm going to wait until I want something different, and I'll go to my staple and go get myself a Four Peaks, you know, because they probably just have their typical beers, you know, Kiltlifter and the Golden Lager and stuff like that. Maybe their stout, their stout's really good. Anyways. So by the time I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see if I can get a Four Peaks, and I hit up, you know, four or five other breweries and things. And I walk back there and they're gone. I think they shut down like real fast. I think everybody just drank all their beer and they just left. Oh, that is a common thing from uh, someone who attends uh, quite a few beer festivals. Uh, Once they have uh, given away all their beer, they just walk away. Yeah, they got to go home. You know, they're not local. I mean, they're local to the state, but they're not local to Prescott. So, you know, might as well pack up and go home. I mean, they could just go to the store and buy their own, I guess. But I understand it makes sense. And they are, uh, I would say they probably were one of the three biggest names there. I don't think they were the biggest, 
we had uh, um, Sierra Nevada was there. And they brought out their big truck with their taps that are on the side of the truck and everything. And I was like, man, thanks for coming, guys. I mean, I know you guys are really far away, but they brought their whole truck and everything. And they oh, were there really, till the very end. Awesome. And I got a few beers that, believe it or not, from Sierra Nevada that weren't super hoppy. Because you know they're mostly known for their beers of being very hoppy. Yeah, but they have other kinds. They make all kinds of beer. Yeah, I know. But the ones they had were not their, you know... Pale ale and st- well, they had that and a couple IPAs and stuff. But the one I got was a, uh, it was a lager of some kind. It was really good. I liked it. Oh yeah, I think that's their summer lager. I think I saw that in the store. Uh, sounds right. I don't remember the name of it, but I I knew it was a lager. So nice, man. Nice. And then I'll stop because I can go on for a while about this. I just, I was alone. I I was hoping to run into some people I knew. I knew maybe four or five people. I think the majority of people that came to it were from Phoenix or Flag or elsewhere. Because being in Prescott since 2006, working for the paper, I know a lot of people in town. I wouldn't say they're friends, but I'm friendly kind of thing. Just from what I did. And I would say... Over that whole course of me being there, I maybe ran into 20 people I knew. It was mostly everybody from Phoenix and Flagstaff and Tucson or whatever. And it was very strange to me because it was a lot of youth and we don't have a lot of youth here. Oh, so so it was like just an excuse to go up into a cooler area and just uh, have some beers? And get bombed, yes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I will end with this because I can keep going, but I'm going to stop because I know people don't like it when you talk about booze. But I found a brewery. I was going to send you the picture, but I took it with my camera and not my phone. I'm going to have to go and check it out. And when you're here, we're definitely going to have to go check it out. But it's in Gilbert. It's the coolest name ever. I I got two of their beers. I didn't want their IPA, obviously. I got two of their beers, but I kept going back for one specific one. It was called uh, Copper. It's uh, Amber Beer. It was very good. But the brewery is Flying Bassett. Oh, nice. And the reason why it's Flying Bassett is the founder, clearly we must have been separated at birth. He is a pilot, loves airplanes, and his favorite dog is Bassett Hound, and he has a bunch of them. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, well, you have to go there, man. It's like Manifest Destiny. Right. And they're way over in Gilbert, but I'm going to I'm gonna have to go check them out. I was talking to the brewmaster and everything. His name was Mike. Really cool dude. Very cool. He's like, yeah, man, come on in. We'll take care of you. We'll, we'll give you a tour. We'll give you some samples and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm going to come down. That'll be fun. Heck yeah, man. That will be fun. So anyways, all right, there's my voyage on why I'm like, again, I'm not crazy hungover, but I was not feeling good this morning and I wasn't shit faced last night. I really wasn't. I had probably a bit of a buzz, but I wasn't wasted. I mean, I was more wasted at your wedding and I was hungover less than I was this morning. I think it's just drinking all that draft beer just does something. It just gives me really bad headaches in the morning. It's awful. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's okay, man. Anyways, after my triad, Mike, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking some something very light and refreshing. Um, it is called Landshark. Uh, I, I had it last week as well. Uh, Landshark uh, Island style lager. It's really good. I'm surprised. You haven't hunted down their IPA yet. 
Uh, I don't know if they have one, and if they do, I haven't seen it store. And and like I said last week, they had a sale, so it was buy one get one six packs. It's really hard to to pass up. Did they have a limit on how many six packs you could buy? I think there's a limit, but I I didn't I didn't buy the limit, of course. But I, I think there's a limit of like uh, maybe eight. Now I'm extremely disappointed you didn't max it out. Well, that's a lot of storage, man. That's a lot, of, and it's a lot of weight. That's true. You know? That's true. We don't want you to hurt your pythons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So, all right, Mike. Well, um, after a long story of an exciting local event here in Prescott, which I think is worth talking about, since we are a Prescott-based podcast. Oh, oh. Lastly, I also saw my buddy Torrance from Signals. We talked a bit. He had like a photo booth there, so. If uh, you're local and uh, you want to support local and newsy kind of website, it's not really news, but it is, but it isn't. Uh, they're caught up now. They have all our episodes finally back on their website. So that's good. Awesome. Awesome. So I kicked it with him for a bit. But anyways, all right, Mike. Well, today we are talking about a movie. We teased it last week. Um, it's another rock biopic. And I would say this one is definitely different than Bohemian Rhapsody in some respects and very similar in others. So, Mike, do us a favor. Give us a rundown on the biopic about Elton John title Rocketman. All right. Um, So this movie was directed by Dexter Fletcher, written by uh, Lee Hall. Uh, It's starring uh, Tyron Edgerton, uh, Jamie Bell, Richard Madden. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, and this, uh, like like we said, it was a musical fantasy about the f- fantastical human story of Elton John's breakthrough years. All right, Mike, you go first since I've been talking way too much. Um, I think uh, I I think I was a little disappointed by this. Uh, I liked it, but I didn't quite understand why it was so. Um, I don't know, uh, fantasy. Like I, uh, like to me, it seemed a little weird to sing songs. I don't know, like because I know a lot of the songs were that were performed in earlier parts of the movie are supposed to be in certain time periods of his life where he actually hasn't written those songs yet, and it was a little weird to me. Some of that stuff, some of that artistic, um license that was taken uh i liked i mean there's a lot of kind of cool visuals so there was some kind of cool stuff um without giving away spoilers there's a an interesting scene at a a famous la uh venue where they played and i really like that scene a lot so i don't know um I, I think I was a little disappointed. I, I, I think I liked Bohemian Rhapsody better because it was more uh, biopicy, and this one was more like biopic, but like fantasy. Like, there's a lot of artistic stuff taken with it, and I, I don't know. To me, it wasn't as good. Well, I can tell this is going to be a heated conversation, Mike. Oh no, did you did you really like that stuff? Dude, I thought it was fantastic. And I'm not real big into musicals and things like that, but I really loved how they tried to do something different 
with a music biopic because yes, they still follow the same formula as everybody does that does a musical biopic based on a band or a musician or whatever. There's this formula, but at least they tried to do something different by using the songs, using the different time periods, using the different costumes and things to try to show how Elton John was feeling on the inside versus the outside of what was really going on. And I personally really enjoyed that. I thought it was very unique. Now, did it succeed? Yes and no. Uh, it could have been done better and it could have been done worse. So I don't know. It's it's kind of neutral ground, but uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very unique. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, for sure it's unique. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't know what I was really expecting, but I don't think I was quite expecting that uh, with the, the various things. And that's okay. Yeah. It, it was a, a a fairly good movie, and um, uh, Tyron Egerton's Elton John uh, was really good. He he, I think he threw everything into this role, dude. And his voice is amazing because you know that's really him singing all those songs. Yeah, that was that was quite impressive. I did like that. I I thought that was cool. That was that was neat. Instead of him just like um, dubbing over Elton John tracks or whatever he, he you know he sung them i thought that was cool it was amazing so that, I, I enjoyed that i applaud yeah. him for that for sure yeah that, that that i mean that must have been that must have been hard just that in itself and then you had to make the movie yeah so yep now i don't want to uh spoil too much but i'll go a little bit one of the points that disappointed me heavily and it also disappointed me in Bohemian Rhapsody, but at least we got a big payoff at the end, was the uh, concert montage. I mean, they just like fly through all these really big concerts and things in this film and in Bohemian Rhapsody. It's almost like a a 15 or 20 year montage of him performing. And I just, I don't like that. I'd like to see some of that stuff. Now, you don't have to do all of it, but I would like to see more of that because that's what this is about. Yes, it is about the person, but it's also about the person's music as well. And they just rocket through that stuff, at least in these past two movies. Yeah, and interesting that you mentioned that, Matt, because I believe that uh, Dexter Fletcher was involved with some of the final stuff of Bohemian Rhapsody because he was a producer on that and uh since the whole controversy with uh brian singer uh i think there was some weird director's guild stuff where brian singer still has credit as director even though i think uh dexter fletcher helped a lot yeah i think he came in and finished a lot of the film yeah but there's some weird rules about director stuff i don't know Hmm. Interesting. Well, and you know, like I said, uh, I, I don't want to ruin too much of it. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, maybe not. I mean, the thing that kind of shocked me was how depressing this movie really is. I mean, it's extremely depressing. Uh, yeah, you, you, you know, it, it, it is pretty depressing. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of the family stuff that I didn't quite know was going to be in it and you're like oh 
Wow. So, and that just kind of keeps showing up throughout the movie, as it would. You know, family's family. It's always around. So. Right, right. Well, uh, I, you know, I have all these things I want to say, but I don't want to ruin the film for people that don't know much about Elton John. I personally didn't know a whole lot about Elton John, the man. I know his music. I don't know it well. I'm not a huge Elton John fan. I have many songs of his that I do enjoy, but I'm not like a diehard Elton John fan. I just, I'm just not. And a lot of people are. So, but I am a diehard music fan, much like yourself, Mr. Talent. Yes. Yes. I, I, I really like music and I'm, I've never been a huge uh, Elton John fan either. But I, I do like a lot of his music. It's really good. He's written on so many, uh, so many good songs. And it was neat to find out the story about um, the songwriter guy that he's been working with for most of his career. Yeah, and that's really that was really cool. Literally, almost his entire career. Literally, not figuratively. Literally, and that's amazing that they've had that kind of relationship. Both of them. You know, because he could have, you know, told Elton to F off many times and walk away, and he never did. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it, it, it is truly amazing. Um, it, it, it was, a, it was a, a, a neat movie in, in a lot of respects, and, and it also deals with a lot about addiction stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know and that's a tough subject with you, Mike, but it's, it is important to show that, well... Oh, that gets into a question I have written down that I'm going to ask later. But uh, oh, okay. Well, save it until we get to the spoiler area, or or are we are we there? I think we're there, Mike. I think we're there. So, all right, let's do it. Let's do our bread and butter, our namesake. The reason why we should probably change the name from Real Film Nerds to Marvel Cinematic Universe Film Nerds, Mike. How does Rocket Man relate to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Oh, well, uh, thanks for asking, Matt. Um, this one was a little bit uh, harder to find, the uh, relationship. But the casting director for this movie, uh, Reg Periscott Edgerton, uh, was the casting director for Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Doctor Strange. Uh, uh, everyone else, I couldn't really find a really good connection. So it took me a little while to find that. But when I get down to makeup artists and casting directors, it's it, I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous. But I, I found one, so we're good to go. Well, good. That's interesting because, well, but I don't know where this film was shot. It wasn't shot in England, was it? I'm not sure. Um, uh Maybe I can find out in just a second. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe films are shot in London and England. A lot of them are also shot in Atlanta and New Mexico and obviously L.A. But believe it or not, there's actually quite a few that are filmed in London, England area. So you would think some of the more smaller positions would be probably dotted all over this film since he is a British singer-songwriter. Uh, yeah, so um, it was filmed in uh, England uh, at a place called Bray Studios. Hmm. All right. Well, all right, Mike, let's do it. Let's get these spoilers rolling. 
I guess uh, the the scene that I wanted to talk about that I was mentioning mentioning earlier was uh, they're playing at the Troubadour, uh, the L.A. club that is famous for just having all these amazing acts kind of get broken there or just big time acts playing in this kind of smaller club, basically. And um, there's a scene where they're playing their concert, and it's it's kind of like uh, Elton realizes that this is a huge deal, and he gets he gets really um, uh, like nervous, and he doesn't want to come out on stage. And then you know his uh, his uh, uh, record producer guy, what what would you call him? His A and R man, maybe. Uh, um, I'm not sure if they ever really gave him a title. I mean, he works for the record company, so. Yeah, maybe one of his agents or something. I don't I don't know, because they don't really describe what his job title is. Not that I remember. Yeah, so anyway, this guy comes and yells at him and says he's being an idiot. And then he comes out and uh, then he's about to play and it's a little bit quiet. And then he just, just blows the the roof off the, the place. And it was awesome. And, and it was done in a way where it was like the way he was feeling. Right, and so you could just see that he was like floating, and the audience was floating off the energy. I thought that was kind of cool. That was that was my favorite uh, scene, I think, in the movie, as far as like kind of the creativity of how to convey what was happening there. And I, I thought that was that was that was really neat. I did to say that's probably one of my favorites for sure. Because uh, one of my other favorite scenes is the one where he's playing at Dodger Stadium. And you just see the enormity of Dodger Stadium. But it literally, it's this huge, big moment for Elton John. And it literally is like a blink of the eye in the movie. It's like, you know, maybe two or three minutes of the whole film. And it's like, man, it should have been bigger. It should have been more like the Troubadour scene. Because that was a huge moment for him. I mean, it's a freaking baseball stadium not only that, one of the biggest baseball stadiums ever, and it's sold out. That's incredible. Yeah. No, you're right. They did kind of glance over a lot of that stuff um, as the movie went along. And I guess what they were trying to say is we all know the music, and they want you to to give you the story of the man behind the music. And maybe that's what they're... I, I don't know. This is this just me thinking i don't know well that makes sense they used his music to more tell how he's feeling rather than here check out this song here check out this song here sing along to this song which is exactly what bohemian rhapsody was bohemian rhapsody was more hey this is how we made this song and this is how we did this and hey sing along to this song and which is great i mean they're very similar in style and story and the way they're told and things like that but I think they're presented completely different. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you're you're right. They are presented differently. Um, but this one was more about how Elton felt in all these different uh, pivotal moments, I think. Um, and it's interesting how this movie kind of starts out, since we're in the spoiler area, is, is Elton walked out of a show i guess i i don't know if that's true or not if that's exactly how that went but it doesn't matter uh he walks out of a show and then into rehab and starts to talk about everything and then uh 
that's pretty much the movie, kind of jumping back and forth from everything that's happened in his life up to that point. Yeah, he's and, basically telling his life story from the perspective of basically an AA meeting. Yeah, yeah, it was it was totally like a group therapy session, and he was just talking about everything. <laughs> when he lists the, I'm addicted to this and this, it was like the longest list ever. Oh yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. It was pretty wild. Um. Oh man. Uh. His his uh his mom in this movie, played by uh, Bryce D- Dallas Howard, was so like cold. It was like unbelievable. And what's like, interesting the- is you I'm sure you know this though, Mike, is Bryce Dallas Howard is the exact opposite in like real life and in a lot of her roles. She's not cold at all. She's very warm and like everybody wants to be around her kind of thing. She's uh a lot like her dad, uh Ron Howard. Yeah, and she was she played a character and it was so like dark and like cold and like um yeah, Elton's. Uh, it was interesting. Elton's father. I, I I don't understand all the circumstances with the their original marriage, but when you see Elton's father later, and Elton's a superstar, and he goes and visits him, it's like, who is this guy? Like it was like totally different. It was weird. Yeah, he he doesn't that, even act like Elton's really his son anymore. It's really really cold. I mean, even more yeah. cold than the his mom. Played by Bryce Dallas Howard, who I think she, next to uh, Taron Egerton, I think she did fantastic, uh, incredible supporting role. Yeah, yeah, his dad is played by uh, Stephen McIntosh. Yeah, that was that was brutal, man. That was real brutal. And then on top of it, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but basically throughout almost the entire movie that I could think of, no one ever hugs. Elton John ever like ever as a child with his first love with like there's intimacy there's clearly sex and things like that but no one like gives him like a compassionate I love you kind of hug until the end of the film and then at that scene when he goes back to see his father and he's in the car and his father turns around to walk away and he picks up one of his sons and hugs him real big. It just, you could just feel the pure emotion and, you know, Ellen John's heart just cracking in half right there. I mean, it was brutal, dude. Oh, it was, man. And you're like, oh my gosh. Wow. No, I, 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 I saw that as well. Like he was so, um, I guess, loving with his, his uh, stepbrothers. And he's like, who, who are, what, what is this about? And then when he's filling out, um, the autographed record, he's like, oh, could you make it out to this person? Oh man. I uh, (laughs) I was like, uh, brutal dude. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was really brutal. Yeah. I mean, it just shows you, you know, Elton John has all these things, all this money, all this power, all the drug abuses, all this stuff. And he's still like literally one of the, at least in this film, one of the loneliest people on earth. I mean, he's just absolutely a hundred percent alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a time when he's talking to his, his, his manager guy and 
he's just furious about what's going on and he just like oh i don't care you can kill yourself i'll still get your 10 percent, even when i'm dead or whatever or you're dead i'm like ugh. like and it wasn't just like his manager he was his you know one of his first loves i guess you would consider it at least in the film yeah yeah no re- yes they had a relationship but i i think that i i uh, was had the relationship already ended or maybe that was the ending straw but it was just it was it was pretty rough man and like uh i don't know if that that pool scene had really taken place i'm not sure yeah i'm not gonna look that one up either no personally but it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> matter i think i think it was just uh if it didn't really happen it was just how he felt and and so i guess maybe that was the part of the movie that i didn't quite get it was always how he was feeling and not exactly what everything was going on at the time 100% if that made sense yeah yeah definitely Okay, well, let me, Mike, I'm going to turn to my notes because I wrote a bunch of notes down. Oh, all right. Wow. Who are you? What did you do with Matt? He died. I replaced him. I am his life model decoy. Oh, okay. Okay, here's one of the notes I wrote down. Um, And this is one of the topics I wanted to ask, and hopefully it won't lead to too much of a discussion, but maybe it will. So, Mike, do you think you have to be a broken human being to be rich and famous slash uh, rock star? Um, I think it certainly helps uh, with material and things. I I feel like often the people that are rock stars are um, people that have had a lot of hard stuff happened to them and they persevered or they have particular talents but are weak in other areas i I mean i guess it's they have their strong talents just like everyone else and theirs happens to be music or or um art like uh i mean i don't know like thespians uh you know it takes a certain kind of person who can conjure up all kinds of feelings and stuff to bring out some great acting you know like on the drop of a hat you know like so there's only a handful of people i think that can just always do that so i i think i think if you have problems in your life it can help you to overcome them and then use that i don't know as fuel for uh your to be driven by i guess like um uh i don't know like um so the simple answer is yes i guess so yes (laughs) the the simple answer is yes like uh let's look at bill gates he was he was born to a uh, he he was uh, fairly privileged growing up his dad was a lawyer and and stuff but he was bullied a lot when he was a kid and it drove him to like technology and and he, and he he liked being alone and kind of introverted him and then he became 
the Bill Gates that we know created Microsoft. Um, so it might uh, not necessarily be a yes, but it is definitely not an hindrance. It helps make them bigger than just someone that's more normal. Yeah, but I mean, when you talk about normal, Matt, what is normal? Like, I feel like everyone has stuff. I don't know. I don't. I've never felt that there is any normal. There's just what we perceived to think that people are normal, but there is no real normal. Well, I can vouch for myself. I am definitely not normal. I have been told that many times. Yeah, uh, and I I think I'm not normal either. There's a lot of you know, uh, I don't know. I just look at things differently than a lot of people. I don't know, Mike. You're pretty normal to me. See, but that's your perception of me. But again, you are friends with me, though. So what does that say about how normal you really are? Right. See, see, and it's all about ah, it's so. So in my mind, there is no normal. There's just what we f- perceive as being normal and what we put on to what we think people are as normal, which is weird. So anyway, I don't want to talk about it too much, but yeah, you're getting really philosophical. This is crazy. I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. I, I I don't know. It's just no apologizing. Yeah. I seriously, dude, I think it's awesome. I, I don't think there is a normal. I think there's what we've just grown up seeing and, and through society and all kinds of stuff. We just have this weird notion of what what is normal and what isn't. Like, you get married, you, you buy a house, you have 3.2 kids, um, you know, you have uh, 1.6 dogs, and you go on with your life. But... That's just complete horseshit. You know, we all we all do different things. So question, just like not the a, point. Not everybody has to go to college, right? The point two, the point two kid, is that like just like a head in a basket? Um, I think it's just an average, and it uh, it just happens to be really strange like that. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think it's a head in a basket, Matt. All right, fine. Ruin my. Halloween Horror Nights, you know, costume for next year. Oh yeah, man, they're 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 uh, they're starting to announce things. I know, I know. I've been, emails. I've been getting alerts through Google. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, we'll get back on track here a little bit. Um, I already said that it was dark and depressing. It was a lot more dark and depressing than I thought it was going to be. It's interesting because it's a dichotomy. It's very colorful and very bright and extremely amazing costumes, very elaborate. And a lot of them are as close to the real thing as possible. I mean, if you stayed through a little bit of the credits, you get to see some of the actual images of Elton John dressed in these outfits and it's they just knocked it out of the park their costume designer for this film just did fantastic she really he or she i i didn't look it up did wonderful it just very good but basically it's this big bright colorful loud singing musical that's extremely dark and depressing when you get down to the actual dialogue and the feelings and the emotions of it it's it's kind of interesting 
It's a dichotomy of itself. Yeah, and I'm sure that was done on purpose, Matt. You're you're right. It's really, really colorful, but it's not about anything that's very colorful to talk about. No. And so I'm sure that was a stylistic choice uh, done on purpose. And you're right. I, I I, I don't know if I put that together until you were just talking about it. But yeah, I agree. All right, Mike. So how many reels do you give Rocket Man? Uh, I'm going to give this three out of five reels, Matt. Like I said, for me, some of the fantasy stuff was a little too much, but I, I did like some of it. So, like, I really like the, the, the Troubadour stuff. I really like that scene. That was a really cool scene to me. So, Well, all right, Mike. I clearly liked this movie a lot more than you did. Yeah, what are, you, what are you giving it? Are you giving it four? Yes, sir. I give it four out of five. There were parts I really, really enjoyed. There's parts that I didn't enjoy so much. But overall, I liked... Maybe I'm just giving the director and writers a little bit more credit and the actors and things than what's due. But I really liked how they just pushed the boundaries with this. I really did. I, I didn't like that they followed the same... You know, here's his rise, and here's him as a kid, and here's his downfall, and oh, look, here he is rising again kind of thing. Typical, you know, biopic, musical biopic kind of thing. But I like how they tried to push the boundaries in different ways and really change how it was presented versus just a straight-up biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. All right. Cool, man. Yeah, I guess it just didn't... I don't know. It didn't affect me as much as I thought. I I don't know. I, I I liked it, but I didn't. I don't think like it as much as I like Bohemian Rhapsody. And to be fair, I'm a bigger Queen fan than I am of Elton John, and and that has something to do with it. But the, it was still neat to see his career and stuff like that. And yeah, I'd agree. I'm probably a bigger Queen fan than I am a a uh, Elton John fan as well. But, uh, I mean, one of the things I I really put a lot of weight on, uh, uh, Taron Egerton because, you know, like, um, oh, I'm spacing on the actor's name now. The guy that played, uh, Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, he has a weird name. Uh, I, I, am spacing. I, I typically, if I wasn't, you know, feeling not great, I probably would remember it because he's one of my favorite Rami Malek. There you go. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I yeah. really like him as an actor. He's a very good actor. He's kind of an ass in real life, but he's a very good actor. But Freddie Mercury is gone. He's no longer with us. He hasn't been with us for a long time. And so I don't think he had the kind of pressure that, that Taron had on him. I mean, Elton John was like on set probably for some of this stuff, definitely coaching him, all that. And to be able to do that... And the guy that you're trying to represent is like literally standing like behind the cameras watching. I mean, that takes some balls, man. It really does. Yeah, no, that 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 would be a lot harder to do. Um, you know, Elton John produced this movie, so it was like, whoa, you know, like, uh, yeah, he clearly uh, had to it, have been a big part of it. Had to have been. Yeah, but. You know, he pulled it off, and, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of uh, Taron uh, Egerton in future movies besides Kingsman-type uh, movies. I think he's going to be in a lot of stuff. 
Well, I hope so. I think he's a pretty good actor, and this really shows it. I mean, he does well in Kingsman. I've always enjoyed him in Kingsman, but this this is a whole nother level. I mean, this is like a complete opposite role. Singing involved, dancing, acting. I mean, this is the complete package for you know actors, and he just did an incredible job, if you ask me. He really did. And so... You know, I mean, I probably boosted it up a full reel just based on him. Uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, that's that's cool, man. So, anyways. All right, Mike. Well, uh, have you looked at what's coming out next week? Because I haven't. Oh, I really need to start doing this before ahead of time. No, no. I actually have not looked. Usually I do look ahead and I kind of have an idea of what we're going to see. But no, I haven't looked at all. I, I feel like um, a giant slacker. You you are because remember Matt I'm just the talent I know and you know I I don't do things uh, Dark Phoenix oh are we doing is that is that well I mean that's the next that's June seventh uh, there's a Secret Life of Pets two ugh uh, this movie called Late Night and something called Abduction so out of those I'm thinking Dark Phoenix Late Night is supposed to be really really good. But uh, I don't know if we're gonna get it here anytime soon because it's kind of is it is it one of those kind of uh, indie or, or limited release more indie I don't know if it's going to be a limited release but it's more indie it's um, Amazon Studios is doing it it's a uh, oh okay Mindy Kaling from uh, um, everybody knows her from The Office I know her from The Office but she also had that one show that she did I think it was just called Mindy wasn't it. Yes, I do believe it was just called Mindy. And she's, I believe she wrote it, and she uh, stars in it as well. Yep, she did. She wrote it, and she's one of the stars in it. Uh, Emma Thompson is, I think, probably the main star. And it's interesting because it's about late night television, which uh, if you go back, there's been women that have guested for late night television hosts, but historically there's never been a female late night television host and so she kind of takes that in as part of the story in the real world and then um oh you know what i didn't even realize that but yeah you're right there is no like women late night tv show right it's not there in historically there hasn't there's been Females that have filled in for Johnny Carson and Jay Leno and David Letterman and stuff like that, but there's never been a female that had her own show lead, at, at least not prominent at, you know, primetime, you know, 10 o'clock or nine o'clock or whenever it starts. And so that's kind of the basis of what I believe made her write this. But she's always dealt with topics like that, at least in, I think, her show Mindy, she always did. So I'm interested to see it. I don't know if we should see it over Dark Phoenix. I think we definitely should see Dark Phoenix because I think our listeners would expect it from us and also would like to know if it is the hot garbage that it looks like it's going to be. Yeah, this will be, I think, the first uh, non-Brian Singer-directed X-Men movie. And it's also the last one under the Fox banner. After this, that's it. They are rebooting the whole thing under Disney. This is the last of the modern X-Men. Oh, really? Are they just going to recast and do everything? Just reboot everything? 
they're going to kill the whole thing off. And there's rumors. There's lots and lots and lots of rumors and lots of speculation. But the rumors and speculation is that they're going to slowly start bringing them into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Fantastic Four around the same time period. Again, that's just speculation and rumors. But they're going to slowly... I know they really want to bring in the Fantastic Four because the Fantastic Four has some of the best Marvel villains ever. And the MCU has a hard time with villains. And so once they do that, they're going to... Yeah, yeah. They can use all that stuff and just weave it into these huge stories. Right. Like Doctor Doom is huge. Doctor Doom is one of the best villains ever made by Marvel, by far. And they now have their hands on him. And so I think what they're going to do is they're going to slowly inch in, maybe through the multiverse, the X-Men, and the Fantastic Four. But when I say inch in, you know, it's 2019. They're talking this might be 2025, maybe a little later. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what Disney does. You know, they got the money to do pretty much whatever the hell they want. And now they have the rights to do pretty much whatever the hell they want. So it's exciting and uh, troubling at the same time. It's, uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see. But... I think we should see Dark Phoenix. I agree. Let's do that. Okay. Dark Phoenix it is. Um, I guess with that, man, I, I, I think we're kind of running a little over. So um, do you have anything else? No, man, I'm good. Uh, I One I, I we were talking about earlier that I might go see today, I'm interested in seeing. It's a little, it's more of an indie film-ish, but it did get a nationwide release. It's just not a very big release is book smart and it doesn't help that it went up against Aladdin. It's a uh, Olivia Wilde's directorial debut debut. Critics are just going bananas over this movie. And the one thing I've heard that's really kind of cool about it, that it makes me want to go see it is it's put on the same level as super bad and super bad is one of my faves. I love that coming of age story. Yeah. McLovin. Exactly. So I, I think I might try and go see this tonight if I can. It just looks cool. It looks like a lot of fun. And it's, you know, so what? It's female leads. That's great. And I applaud that. You know, we need more diversity. Definitely. All right. Cool, man. Uh, You know, if I get a chance, maybe I'll see it. Maybe we'll just throw up like kind of a random pod that's talking about that. Dude, you let me know. I- I'm down. I'm down. All I right. got a uh, football coming up on Saturday. But other than that, I think I'll have time. We'll figure it out. All right, man. That sounds good. Well, uh, I guess uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you on the next pod. Thank you for listening to The Real Film Nerds. Now, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Real Film Nerds. Now, go out and catch a movie.